Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord. No one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. So good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to be back uh, in Texas uh, from New Jersey again. I've gotten to see some familiar faces. I think this is about the fifth or sixth year you've invited us to come back down, always at this time of year, which is a wonderful time to leave New Jersey and uh, come uh, to Texas. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, for having us uh, here. You know, a lot has changed since we were here a year ago. Uh, at that time, you had this brand new associate pastor who had just started. Now he's a familiar face. The last time we were here, Megan had a different last name. Um, you were just announcing your capital campaign, and you have accomplished so much in one year that is just extraordinarily exciting. The only thing that hasn't changed this year is Andy. He's exactly the same as he was a year ago, so that's sometimes good news. But Liz and I are really honored and privileged to, to be back with you. Um, those of you who have been following this uh, relationship with Villages and Partnership know that the way that we work is by developing six critical areas of human need. And it's interesting that in most churches you will see six very prominent symbols represented in most churches. The font, where our faith journey begins, the table, where it's nourished, the pulpit, where we find the Word of God, a cross, where Christ came to bring life to the world, the structure itself, and of course, perhaps the most important symbol in the church, the offering plate. <laughs> now I want you to think about those six symbols because they directly correspond with the six areas of human need. Water, 
the thing that most of the villages say is the most important need that they have access to clean water. Food security, education, healing, medicine and health, infrastructure, roads, buildings, bridges, and economic opportunity. Those are the six building blocks of Villages in Partnership. Today I want to talk to you, since it is Communion Sunday, about the table. Now, obviously the table represents food. Uh, without food there is no life. But there is another critical aspect of coming to the table. And that is also one of the cornerstones of our work of Villages in Partnership. And that is fellowship. The table is the place where relationships are built. And it's very important who we eat with, who gets invited to our table, and who invites us to their table. You know the most nerve-wracking period in middle school or high school? You know what it is? Lunch. <laughs> the other classes, you get assigned a seat, but lunch. Now that's where you know where you fit in or aren't welcomed. That's where you sort of know who you are. The table isn't just about eating. It's about identity and it's about fellowship. Today, um, we come to a really interesting chapter in the Bible. Luke chapter 14. The first half of this chapter, the entire scene takes place at the table. There are four different vignettes that happen in this same meal. Jesus is the guest of honor. He is invited to uh, share a meal at the house of an unnamed person who is identified as a leader of the Pharisees. A leader of the Pharisees. And we'll talk a little bit more about who the Pharisees were. Very, very important to understand uh, this topic. Now, uh, Jesus gets invited to come to this dinner but uh, he's not really there only as a guest. He is there as the main meal. <laughs> they're, they're looking to trap him or trick him by inviting him to this dinner. Because what they want to find out is, who is this rabbi? And is he with us or is he against us? Is he one of us or... Is he somebody that we should avoid? Is he somebody we want to have at our table or not? And so they devise a, a trick or a trap because at the meal, they invite in somebody they normally wouldn't invite, a man who is sick. And the reason they bring this sick person into the meal place, into the dining room, is to see what Jesus is going to do because this dinner is taking place on a Sabbath and the Pharisees have very strict ideas about what you should and should not do on a Sabbath day. And the question is, is Jesus going to do work, healing work, on a Sabbath? And of course Jesus does. And then Jesus ups the ante. His first teaching at the table is about humility. He says, you shouldn't choose the places of honor when you're invited to a meal, you should take the place of the lowest person. You should live a life of humility. 
And then he goes another step further. He says, if you're going to have a dinner, don't just invite the people who are like you, who look like you, your family, your friends, your rich neighbors. He says, no, when you have a dinner, invite the people who are the most different from you. The outcasts, the poor, the sick, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring those people into your circle of friendship. And then he tells this parable. Now, this is our text for the day. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most difficult and convicting teachings that Jesus has for us. This is Luke uh, chapter 14, beginning um, at verse 15. One of the dinner guests, on hearing Jesus' teaching, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is a provocative and challenging parable, to say the least. These Pharisees uh, are often seen as sort of a caricature of those who were opposed to Jesus, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Pharisees were actually quite popular people. They were people who took the Bible very seriously. They were lay people who dedicated themselves to the reading and the studying of Scripture. And they were perceived by almost everybody, even the most common people, as being, uh, you know, very, very significant, high prestige people because of their teaching of the Bible and the way that they took their relationship with God so seriously was at the center of their lives. They were held in great esteem. Uh, They were seen as the influencers of the time. They were very popular and they were very important, and they were very prestigious. Now, these are the people that invite uh, Jesus because they are concerned of how is he reading the Bible, because they're reading the same scriptures. They're teaching about the same God. Is he with us or is he against us? And they bring him in, and their particular way of reading the Bible has to do with holiness, That was their concern. 
The Bible says that our God is a holy God. God will not tolerate sin or any impurity at all in his presence. And so their conclusion was, if that's the way God is, then that's the way we should live. We should be holy people. That means avoiding anything that might contaminate us or make us unclean. And as they read the Bible, they decided that one of the ways was to avoid people who were crippled who were poor, who were dirty, who were outcasts. And it certainly meant avoiding foreigners or strangers. To live a pure and holy life for them was the way of honoring God, keeping his commandments and following him. And so when this new rabbi comes along, of course, they're curious, is he with us? Is he holy? Was their question. Now, Jesus had a very different understanding of what holiness looked like. For them, holiness meant avoiding anything that might make you unclean. But for Jesus, holiness meant going to the places and the people who needed God the most and bringing his holiness into those places. It was a completely different way of reading the Bible and understanding the Scriptures. Jesus um, really... uh, turned their world upside down and challenged their position, their, their uh, positions of privilege and status that they had come to accept as part and parcel of their lives. So Jesus had a very different way of uh, understanding the kingdom, which is the question that precipitates this particular text. Somebody at this dinner stands up and he says, blessed is anyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you are right. And let me tell you about this kingdom. <laughs> let me tell you what it's like. You see, for the Pharisees, the kingdom of God was someplace reserved for the people who were holy, who were pure, and they got to go to be with God in heaven at some future time. But Jesus said over and over again, no, the kingdom is breaking into the world now. In Mark, his very first sermon, he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand now. Repent and believe the good news. Later in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. And he said, the kingdom of God is not coming. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here right now. And like Liz was teaching the children, We pray every week, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. For Jesus, the kingdom wasn't something you escaped to because you were so pure and holy. The kingdom was something that was breaking into the world right now in his presence, and it meant bringing the holiness of God into those places and to the people who needed it the most. And so he turns their worldview, their theology upside down and challenged their life of privilege and status as these separated people because that's what the word Pharisee means. Pharisee means to be separated from, to be removed. And so he tells this kingdom parable at the end that is so convicting to me. Somebody throws a party and he invites all of the people you want to have at your party, all the influencers, all the important people, all the people of status. 
And now it's time for the party to start. You've announced you're going to have this party, and the invitations go out. Everything's now ready. And boom, in come the excuses. And these excuses are lame. <laughs> oh, I bought a field, and I have to go see it. What? You bought a piece of property sight unseen? It'd be like someone from Jersey buying a ranch down in Texas somewhere that turns out just to be sagebrush. That's ridiculous. You don't buy a piece of... Oh, I bought a team of oxen, actually five teams of oxen. I have to go give them a test drive. <laughs> Couldn't that wait a day until the party is over? Oh, I just got married. Of course I can't come. Of course you can't come. Of course you should come. Bring your wife. What's the problem here? These excuses are so lame. Why are they making these excuses? Because these people don't want to be associated with this someone who's throwing the party. For whatever reason, this person is considered uncool. Not in our circle. Not of our caliber. We don't know why. That's just the way it is. But friends, isn't that the way our lives are? We are very concerned about the company that we keep. Anybody in middle school or high school will tell you the sure way to lose your popularity is to start hanging out with the kids who aren't very popular. Your status drops because of the company that you keep. It's cool to be different and separate from the people who everybody else leaves out. They don't want to be associated with this guy who's throwing the party. But rather than being offended or, or, or undone, he's offended, but he's not undone. He says, the party's going to go on anyway. We're just going to put some different people in your seats. Guess who's coming to dinner? The very people you don't want to be associated with. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They're going to get the seats of honor at this dinner. And not only that, he sends the guy out again, bring in all the strangers all the people passing through on the highways and the byways, the people that don't belong and don't fit in, they're going to come to my party. It's obvious that the person, this certain someone who threw the party, is God himself. And Jesus is telling these folks who felt like the path to God was separateness that they are wrong. The pathway to God is through relationship with the very people that they were so scrupulously trying to avoid even being in friendship with. Now, let's be honest, at least for me, my life looks a lot more like the life of the Pharisees than the kind of kingdom vision that Jesus gives us. Most of the people who live around me look a lot like me. Most of the people I associate with are educated people, well-to-do economically. We live in safe homes. We drive nice cars. They're the people that find their way to my dinner table most of the time. How about you? You see, with wealth comes privilege and status. 
even that which we do not recognize because we simply take it for granted. And it's very easy to suddenly become used to having the seat of honor, the special parking place, the cushy life, the comfortable seat. Because we get cut off from the people whose lives are so different. Which county would you rather live in? Collin County or South Dallas? I guess Collin County, because that's where you live. <laughs> you have a choice, you know. <laughs> but we end up going to that place where we feel safe, secure, comfortable. Jesus challenges the Pharisee that's in all of us. To have a different kingdom vision. And it is difficult. And it is hard. And this parable is convicting. But it is one of the things that makes the work that we do in Malawi so extraordinarily powerful because we find ourselves at the table with the most extraordinarily different people in this world. And we break bread and we become friends. I was in Malawi just this past summer. I go over every other year. My wife goes over several times every year. Um, and uh, we had one of these big village lunch meals that we always have. If you ever come to Malawi, those of you who've been here, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we were in this particular village because they were doing a training on health care and eating healthy meals. And so the entire village had come out for the training and all the women were over making the meal and mixing up the encima and cutting up the vegetables and slaughtering the goat and cooking the meat and the aroma was filling and everyone was coming, hundreds and hundreds of people, the people from America and the people from this particular village. And it was time for the meal. And they put out the mats and they invite us to come. Now I'm the abusa. That's the Chichewa word for pastor. The six foot four white American pastor. And they usher me as they always do up to the finest mat. Sitting with the chief and the other leaders of the village being served the first portion of the food and the biggest and the nicest piece of the goat. And then all the other people are spread around sitting at their own mats. The women on one side, the men on the other, the boys somewhere and the girls. And as I'm sitting there, there's a little girl way over on one of those outskirt mats on the edge of our gathering and she's looking at me and she has a big smile. Now, you have to understand, when you're six foot four and you're white, walking around the villages of Malawi, people stare at you a lot. <laughs> but this little girl, she was really looking and looking and trying to get my attention. And I'm like, who is that? And Emma, one of our translators, comes up and she whispers. She goes, do you see who that is? I'm like, yeah, who is that? She's been she goes, that's Rebecca. Remember Rebecca? I'm like, oh, 
Yes, yeah, I I met Rebecca eight years earlier. Now, she's a teenager, but at the time she was like six or seven years old. And she had come to one of the clinics that Villages in Partnership does. And Rebecca, when she walks, she looks like a little crippled bird. I don't do this to make fun of her, but just to help you understand, she walks like this because she was born with some congenital problem with her hips. And the clinicians at our clinic said, well, maybe if she could get to a special uh, hospital of some kind with a specialist, maybe there's something they could do because we can't help her here with what we know. And so they said, there is a hospital in the city of Blantyre about an hour and a half's drive. If somebody could drive her down there, we'll make an appointment and maybe they can help her. I got to drive Rebecca to the hospital. And so I went to her house and she comes out and her mother picks her up and puts her in the car with Emma, the translator, and the three of us take off to drive down. Now I'm driving and she's sitting as far as she can. She's terrified. She's never been out of her village. She's never been away from her mother. She's never been in a car, and she's certainly never been in the presence of a six-foot-four white American abusa. <laughs> and the translator sitting in between us, trying to ask her some questions, and we go see the doctor, and tragically, the doctor examines her and sees her, and he says, this is, there's nothing we can do. This, she's just going to have to learn how to live with this. She's not going to be able to walk very far. And so we go and we have dinner together. I took her to a restaurant. First time she'd ever been to a little restaurant. And we're sitting at a table, the three of us. And we hold hands and we pray. And we break bread. And we share life. We share a meal. She gets back in the car, but this time instead of sitting as far away as she can, she comes and she sits right next to me. And she puts her head on my shoulder as we're driving and she falls asleep, snuggled up next to this stranger who's become a friend who took her to the city and bought her a meal. That's Rebecca. It all comes back to me. Oh, I couldn't get up fast enough. And I run over and I sit down at her mat with the teenage girls. And they're all stunned that Rebecca knows the guest of honor. And I'm talking to her with the translator and how she's doing. And she hops up. And she wakes her way. But instead of just walking a little distance, she walks over to the wheelchair that Villages in Partnership had brought her earlier to one of our clinics and she gets in and her friends grab it and they're taking her around and she has the biggest smile on her face and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven because we come to the table to eat with the people whom others have said are unclean the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The challenge is, of course, how do we live this out 
in our day-to-day lives? How do we open up our tables a little bit wider? How do we look at our circle of friendship and kinship and broaden it? This is an extraordinarily difficult challenge to cross whatever those barriers are that separate us one from another. But the thing that compels me is knowing that I have been the one invited to the master's table, not because of my privileged status, but because in God's eyes, I am the poor. I am the cripple. And he came out and brought me in. I am the stranger. I am the foreigner. And he compelled me to come. And if Jesus will do that for me, then I need to do that for others.